can invite your attention to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we've been looking at uh, John's little children's statements on Sunday nights in 1 John. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Little children need to know about spiritual warfare. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Little children, tonight it brings us to this classic biblical statement from 1 John, probably one of his most famous statements in that book. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What a great statement. This is said in the context of a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle that has been raging in the world, is raging now, and will continue uh, right up until Jesus comes and puts an end to it. Until then, this spiritual warfare is going to be raging I'm going to say something to you tonight. It may sound a little odd at first. I don't know whether it sounds odd or not. I'll just say it. You know, we think that our uh, nation is divided along political lines. That's basically all you hear, and I'm not going to tell you it's not. Uh, Certainly there is a political divide in our nation. Oh, but I'm going to tell you tonight, we've got a much deeper problem than that. Uh, The reality is there is a spiritual divide and a spiritual battle, a spiritual conflict that is being raged in America today. And I'm not here to tell you tonight that this spiritual battle is identified by the color red or the color blue. Not here to tell you that. I'm here to tell you that this spiritual battle is identified by those who Name the name of Jesus Christ and those who hate it. Now, go beyond all of the political structure, go beyond all the political fighting, and sometimes I wonder if it's not, forgive me if this sounds a little cynical, but sometimes I wonder if a lot of the political infighting is not a whole lot like that old Saturday morning wrestling that we used to watch. You remember how the guys used to get up and hate each other and go and kill each other, and then they'd all gather up and have lunch together and sit down and be big buddies. You know, I wonder how much of that's actually going on. I don't know. We'll never know. I know that sometimes the political fighting is very real, and it certainly has very real consequences. Paul gave us some very important information in Ephesians chapter 6. When he said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual power at work beyond this and behind this. There are principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness and spiritual wickedness, and it is all orchestrated by the devil himself. It's all a part of what's called the wiles of the devil. He draws attention then to that spiritual power that is at work in the world and how these uh, people then, flesh and blood people, are being used. And John, in this passage, calls them false prophets. You see, if you wonder how a spirit speaks, well, a spirit speaks through a human voice. And if that human voice is, is one who is, is speaking and, and you, you feel the power of that, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. As it's speaking the words of Jesus Christ and the words of truth. And it becomes more than mere human air that's being pushed out over vocal cords and creating verbalizations that we recognize as words. There's more to it than that. It is the power of the Spirit of God. We know it when we hear it. We know what's going on. But as there are those then who are speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and teaching His truth, there are also those who are being manipulated and used by the other spiritual realm, the realm of darkness, the realm of deceit, the realm of the devil, false prophets. When we think of then a, a false prophet, we see that in Scripture. You may imagine somebody in your mind, you know, maybe wearing a, a white robe and they got a wild look in their eyes and maybe they got a megaphone standing on the side of the road yelling at people. Uh, false prophets. You might picture some slick, glossy uh, uh, a preacher with good makeup and, and diamonds on every finger and and he's got a slick presentation, and it's all a lie. And, and yeah, you know, they, they claim to speak for Jesus Christ, but, but they really don't. But you see, that's not what John's talking about here. He's not talking about a person who is on the inside, kind of, of the Christian realm. That is, they claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Though their doctrine is wrong, their gospel is wrong, they're certainly false in that sense. In fact, Paul would say, if anybody preaches unto you, even if it's an angel from heaven, preaches any other gospel than what you've received, let him be accursed. But that's not what John's talking about. Not people who would manifest themselves or proclaim themselves to be believers in Christ and speaking the truth of Christianity, preaching the Bible. No, that's not who it is. Uh, Paul, or John is talking about then another kind of false prophet these false prophets are empowered by evil spirits straight from the pits of hell. When you look at these people, you will not see in them any evidence that we would associate with demonic possession. Their heads don't spin around. Uh, they don't uh, speak in some wild, devilish kind of voice. Nothing like that. Uh, but make no mistake... 
these false prophets are dominated by evil spirits, and they are the Spirit of Christ. They do not claim to be Christians. They deny Jesus Christ. They're antichrist. Against Christ. There's not just a few of these, John says. There's many. A prophet has a simple objective. uh, To persuade. To persuade. A false prophet, whether it is a him or a her, a he or she, comes to persuade people of whatever it is they represent. And in this case, they represent, without even knowing it, they represent the anti-Christ. This is not in a personal way necessarily, as much as it is in a practical way. Anti means against, of course. They are against Christ. They're very powerful. Their message can be very persuasive. And if it seems like these people are powerful and they're persuasive, it is because they are powerful and they are persuasive. Their message then is empowered from the pits of hell. It has spiritual power. It is persuasive. The devil has been persuading people and deceiving people for a thousand generations or so. I mean, he's good at it. He never even has to take a nap. The devil doesn't even doze off. He's good at what he does. It is a power, dark power. And it's deceiving people, persuading them. And he works through these false prophets to accomplish it. It wasn't all that long ago. I don't know when it was for you, Brother Bill, but it just doesn't seem like long ago that I started hearing people talk about, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. I mean, that, that's, you remember? I, I, he's a little older than I am. <laughs> it's the other way. I'm a little older than he is. I was just kidding. Uh, but I remember when that started to come around, I started to hear it. It's been in my lifetime. I, of course it would be, but I mean, I could, nobody used to say that. And then all of a sudden, it seemed to be pretty popular. Some movie star uh, said at a time or two, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You know, that's about the most dangerous thing any person can be. To claim to have a, a spirituality would mean that they recognize there's a spiritual world out there. There's something that they're involved in, something that they are worshiping. But they're not religious, and what they're saying is, of course, they don't like organized religion. They have no religious structure. Now, I know us Baptists, we've been preaching against religion for a long time, but let's not forget the book of James says there is a pure religion and undefiled. Right? So not all religion is bad. There is, there is some of it that is good. And Now, that kind of religion that offers itself as a means of, of approach to God so that I've got this religious ritual, I've got these works that I do and a performance that I go through, oh, no, that, that's really bad. But there is a pure religion, an undefiled, that is rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ and is built on the truth of Scripture. So that the structure that we have then in our religious realm teaches us the words of Jesus Christ, teaches us the truth, teaches us to do what Jesus Christ would told us to do, and most importantly, teaches us how to recognize the counterfeit. 
The folks on the other side, to just be spiritual but not religious is a person who is opening themselves to any kind of spiritual reality without any understanding that there's some really bad stuff out there. Evil, dark spirits from hell. That's, that's about as tough as it gets. False prophets in. Inhabited, controlled, given a message, empowered by evil spirits. Not necessarily to the extent of demonic possession that we saw all over the New Testament, but certainly. And I mean, right here, John is talking about it. There's many antichrists, many false prophets. And those who are confessing that Jesus Christ is, is not... Come in the flesh, are not of God, and they are the ones who are these false prophets with the evil spirits, manipulating them, controlling them, and yes, speaking through them. So, little children need to know about spiritual warfare. Yeah, it's very real, it's out there, it's prevalent. It's what's going on in our country and in our world. So how do we deal with it? Well, first of all, John talks about the test that we need to apply. There's a test. Not that we take a test to apply to others. What is it? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Oh, we can stop right there, and, and I could preach all night to you. But suffice it to say that what John is talking about is just because something moves us or just because something is powerful or just because something might sound good does not necessarily mean that it is right. Don't believe every spirit. He wouldn't tell us that if these spiritual influences aren't out there and if they're not powerful and working. They are. So don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether there be of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And the test, of course, is what they say or believe about Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you again tonight, John is not applying this to those who might claim to be believers in Christ or may even really be believers in Christ. But they have believed false doctrine or false teaching or been lured aside into something else. No, that, 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 this is not this bunch. This is a bunch who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They then set out to persuade others in the same belief. Now, the Bible gives us some examples in a passage I've shared with you before, but I, I want to share it again with you tonight because it fits so well with this passage. 1 Timothy 4 and 1, now the Spirit speaks expressly. <laughs> That's something. I mean, the Spirit of God always speaks, but the Spirit of God speaks expressly. This is something the Spirit of God was being very plain about, very direct. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils. There it is. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, putting on a show. They don't really know what they're, they're speaking lies. They don't even know it. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. They can't even feel it. Two things, forbidding to marry 
and commanded to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Isn't that interesting? Of all the conceivable things that they could have brought up, the seducing spirits are going to be working on meat and on marriage. Isn't that interesting? could be manifested in any kind of ways, but it's going to show up about meat and about marriage. Now, right up front, let me say that the Bible never presents marriage in any way except as a man and a woman in a committed relationship, male and female. That's the way God put it and told us, of this call shall a man leave his father and mother be joined to his wife. Now, the Bible teaches that celibacy is permissible. So obviously, John is not talking about that person who would be like what Paul described in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, the person who would uh, not marry, uh, not have a husband, not have a wife, uh, so that they might devote themselves unto God. I mean, that was permissible. It was said to be fine. That's not what John is talking about. This is a full bore open-ended assault against the whole idea of marriage, forbidding to marriage. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and God himself performed the wedding. And he would say to them, then, be fruitful and multiply. And so God created them. God joined them together in marriage. And then he said, be fruitful and marry and multiply and replenish the earth. But John was seeing a day and Paul is seeing a day then when, when God's design for marriage would be abandoned. So as to allow for sexuality anyway without marriage at all. I think that idea sounds familiar to us. God also established that we could eat meat. Now, in the Garden of Eden, I think it's pretty obvious that the Bible speaks of how that they would eat of all of the trees of the garden. And there would come a specific time then after the flood when God would tell Noah that every animal could be meat for them except for certain kinds then that were later prohibited by the law. And God would reiterate that then in the New Testament in the vision of the great sheep to Simon Peter when he said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. That meat was, eating of meat was fine. There would be those then who would command that meat must be refused, can't eat meat. These two things go together in a rather obvious way when you think about it. You see, if people turn away from the biblical design for humanity, male and female, joined together in marriage, in a relationship that honors God, if people turn away from then God's creative design for humanity, what are they left with? They're left with then only their own appetites. That's all that's left. So that people will actually worship their desires and appetite. Man becomes just a creature of his desires. What is that? Man's just another animal. And of course we can't eat our brothers and sisters. I mean, you know, they're every animal. If we're just an animal, then every other animal is just as good as us. How could we take the life of 
those poor defenseless animals. I hope we don't have anybody tonight that would be greatly offended by me saying that, but if you are, I'm sorry. It's right here in the text. I'm not sorry. That part of the, the way that this would manifest itself then was in prohibiting the eating of meat and uh, prohibiting people from uniting in marriage. As people would turn away from God's creative design for humanity so that humanity would be nothing more than just another animal. Does this sound familiar to anybody tonight? Of course it does. Of course it does. Philippians 3.18, For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. There it is, that antichrist influence again. Enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is what? Their belly. Whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. These false prophets may sail under a banner of secularism. They may claim to be atheists and Certainly, they don't believe in Jesus Christ, uh, but to say that they don't believe in anything is just they're deceiving themselves. They do believe in something. What do they believe in? They believe the lie. They worship and serve the creature, the creation, more than the creator. What do they end up worshiping? Their own belly, their own appetites. And we, right now, tonight in the United States of America, live in a country where the, act, the desires of mankind have been elevated above almost anything else to the point that almost anything can be sacrificed on the altar of someone fulfilling their desires and whatever they want to do, they cannot be told they cannot do. They might claim that they don't worship anything, but they do. <laughs> they worship their own appetites. That has become the God of this world. And it goes on from there. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. And they mind earthly things. These false prophets, you see, they're believers. Don't, don't think they're not. They are. Uh, they're very passionate about the earth. Oh, they believe in the earth. They mind earthly things. They're very passionate about animals. Oh, they believe in animals. Very passionate about abortion or reproductive choice. Oh, they, they believe they're all about that. Passionate about every kind of human desire. Oh, yeah, don't tell me I'm thinking wrong. Passionate about everything and in anything imaginable and a lot we even don't want to imagine. Amen. They're passionate. Oh, yeah, they, they believe a lot of stuff. And they believe it real strong. They may be your friends and neighbors, co-workers, Maybe people you've known all your life. They may be a teacher, a professor, people you work with, neighbors across the street. They might be an entertainer. They might be a newscaster. They have no idea that they are under the control of the devil and are being led and manipulated by powerful spiritual forces for their own destruction and for the destruction of everyone that follows their pernicious way. They're politicians, some governmental workers in high positions of power. They're smart. They're connected. They know how to use technology. They're singers and actors and comedians. They're false prophets. 
they're led by Antichrist spirits. How do you recognize them? What do they say about Jesus Christ? And if they're saying anything except that Jesus Christ is a son of God, virgin born, sinless life, died on the cross, buried three days, rose again the third day for your sins and mine. If they're saying anything else except the truth about Jesus Christ, the whole truth about Jesus Christ, and nothing but the truth about Jesus Christ, undiluted, purely, They're not saying the truth about Jesus Christ. They're false prophets. Period. And they're led by the spirit of Antichrist. They're Christ and ours. They're trying to persuade you to do the same. And they're very, very good at what they do. False prophets. There's a test to apply. And what is the test? What do they say about Jesus? I could have said that any stronger, I would have. But if there's a test to apply, then there's also trouble to avoid. Verse 4, you're of God, little children, have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The us in this passage is John speaking for the apostolic accumulated truth. When that truth was fully revealed to the apostles and fully arranged, it became the truth of Scripture. Yes, folk, the B-I-B-L-E, that's what I'm talking about. The Bible. And John then puts this revealed, completed Word of God as what was going on and what we could use then uh, to avoid a lot of the trouble uh, that's out there and a lot of difficulty for ourselves. He talks about how that there are people who are of the world who speak as of the world and the world hears them. That's the false prophets. You see, John is talking about something we call pragmatism, a pragmatic view. Pragmatism is defined as a philosophical view that a theory or concept should be evaluated in terms of how it works and its consequences as a standard for action and thought. In other words, if it's working, it has to be right. Pragmatism. Well, John talks about a, a philosophical view, a view that is against Christ. It is of the world. And they speak to the world and, and the world hears them. The world loves them. You can put anybody on any stage in America tonight and get them to start lamblasting the truth of Jesus Christ and lamblasting the truth of the Scripture, mocking Jesus Christ and mocking Christianity, and they'll be cheered. They'll be applauded. There was a time in this country when you would have been banned from the stage, booed off the court, get up there, Talking like that about Jesus Christ. Now celebrate it. So here's a people. They're of the world. They speak as of the world. And the world hears them. But the truth of the validity of the viewpoint is not determined by how many people are persuaded. Whether or not it works for them. Uh, how right it can be made to seem or feel. The validity of the viewpoint is determined by its adherence to scriptural truth. That's what John said. They hear us, that is the apostles. If they're listening to the truth of Scripture, 
then that's somebody that you can fellowship with. Otherwise, otherwise, no. The truth of Scripture, you see, stands in diametric opposition to these viewpoints so popular in the world today. One is of God, one's not of God. One is of Christ, one's against Christ. It's about as opposite as it can be. Paul spoke of this in Ephesians 5.11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Paul tells us not to fellowship with these, lest we be drawn into unspeakable evil. Now, you folks my age and up, and even maybe a little bit younger than me, you might not feel the pressure of this all the time. Uh, You've been watching TV a long time. You applauded the invention of that marvelous device called a remote control. Isn't it a wonderful thing? I still marvel at that. Somebody gets on that TV spouting a bunch of nonsense. You know what I do? I change the channel. I turn it off. There's only so much of the news I can listen to on any given morning, and I'm done. I'm done. There's so much propaganda. So much of it. I just don't listen to it. I get the weather. I get the outdoor report. I'm done. I'm through. Give me a fishing report and move on. I'm ready to face the day. There's only so much of that I can listen to. And I know where that off button is at. Unfortunately, our young people, I don't think, a lot of them, I don't think they know where the off button is. Now, I'll give you this much. If you've got an iPhone, it's hard to turn the thing off. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and some of you, you know, it's not like they got a button on the side. You've got to scroll down through the menu and finally find that place that tells you how to turn the thing off. And even then, it's not really off, I don't think. There's an ocean of lies out there, folk, that's sweeping across this country. And I chose that word very carefully. If you've ever gone to the ocean when the waves are coming in, before they get too big and they close the beaches, but you know what those waves coming in are like. You wade out there and you try to stand. And the sand is washing out away from under your feet because there's an undertow that's pulling you down. The waves are crashing at you and they're knocking you back and knocking you back and knocking you back. And I'll tell you, they're relentless. That's what our kids are feeling every day. Those of you who are out working in the public still, that's what you feel every day. It is a relentless ocean piling against you, persuasive and powerful. But I've got good news for you tonight, believer in Jesus Christ. (laughs) It doesn't matter how many people are listening to the lies. It doesn't matter how popular it is, how many people applaud it, how much we hear about it on the news, how many newscasters are talking about it, broadcasting it, how many professors are teaching it in class. It really doesn't matter because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You're not out to stand against that onslaught, that ocean of misinformation. You're not there to stand on it alone stand against it alone. Greater is he that's in you. We're greater in power, but we're also greater in number. Because let me tell you, when you're on God's side, you're in the majority. That's just the truth. Make sure, though, you're on God's side. Don't misapply that. 
So there's a test to apply. There's trouble to avoid as we recognize where this is coming from and who's behind it. We don't fellowship with it because we know they're out to draw us into that. And if they do, they'll draw us into unspeakable evil. Then there's a truth to accomplish. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. There is indeed a place of unspeakable evil. For the lies that people believe have drawn them into terrible behaviors of an unimaginable kind. But there's a place where we as the believers in God and the believers of the Bible are at home with God and at home with Jesus Christ, where we fellowship with one another and where we enjoy this ongoing and amazing love of God and the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank God for the New Testament church. Thank God we've got one to be a part of. And this is love, then John goes on to say, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And here's the point. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides us and in us, and His love then has been perfected, brought to fruition in us. And so what does John put in contrast? Here's this antichrist, False prophet influence in the world, sweeping across like an ocean, relentless, waving, crashing against us, trying to get us, trying to get people to believe. This overwhelming thing where they are of the world and the world hears them. And this unspeakable evil and darkness and destruction and depravity. There it is. What stands against it? A bunch of people who love God and love each other. Isn't that amazing? In this, you see, they, they can't see God. They can see us. And we have to remind ourselves then that, you know, these, these people, though they might want to be our enemies, they're not. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a power beyond them. He has them, and Jesus loved them and died for them. Same Jesus loved me and died for me. Same Jesus loved you and died for you. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 puts it this way, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. What's he telling us? Hey, one time we was right out there in amongst them. We could have been right there with them. We might not have had this in our life. You might have been blessed, come to Christ at a young age and, and served Him in church all of your life. What a testimony that is. But all this was still in you. Even if it hadn't been seen, it could have been. What kept it out? But the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
And having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So that in this world of darkness and evil, God has placed us, His people, people that He has redeemed. We don't look at all those folks who are in the clutches of the wicked one and think, man, how awful them people are. No. We look at them and think how awful the devil is and how terrible, how terribly he has them on the treadmill of sin. What do they need? They need the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And we know how to tell them. We know to tell them how to get it. Spiritual warfare. The false prophets are around. They influence. They are committed to what they believe in. They worship themselves and their appetites. They're dominated by evil spirits without knowing it because they are spiritual but not religious. Uh, The false prophets are out there. We recognize them by the fact that they deny Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. We avoid then their trouble by not fellowshipping with them, to be drawn into their unspeakable evil. But it doesn't mean that we're not around them. After all, if we wanted to avoid them altogether, we'd have to go out of this world. Do you understand? doesn't mean we avoid them or not around them. It means we don't join in with them. We don't partner up with them. We don't fellowship with them. Because if we do, they will draw us into their evil. But instead, we show them the love of God through Jesus Christ the propitiation of their sins, so that they might be saved, remembering that if Jesus Christ hadn't saved us out of that mess, we'd be right in the big middle of it, just like them. And we remember then tonight, good news, the light wins. (laughs) Light wins. I preached about that this morning. Yeah, I had fun this morning. Light winds. Oh, King Jesus has already been crowned in heaven. One day he'll be crowned on earth. He taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. One day that's going to happen. It is. Light winds. But in this not yet time, we don't yet see all things submitted to him. In this not yet time, we look around at the darkness. They're working hard. And I'll tell you, sometimes it looks to us that they're winning. If this was a majority vote, I'd hate to see whether how it would carry in America or not. The vote as to whether Jesus Christ is Lord, Son of God, virgin born, sinless. I don't know how it would play out. But I like what the old pastor used to say many years ago. He said one of our biggest problems down here in this world today is that we're, having an, we're, we're down here wanting to vote when God isn't having an election. You see, the, this truth is not going to be determined by popularity. Never has been. This truth is established by God himself and it's wrapped up in a person who said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. I wonder tonight, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? 
Have you received him as your Savior? You find yourself surrounded by people who are persuasive, but they're trying to persuade you that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. You remember this message tonight. You remember this test. Test that we put it to. What do they say about Jesus? If they say the wrong thing about Jesus, then we're not to fellowship them, but we are to show them the love of Christ. Let's stand together, please.